Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Chelsea lady, how you been? Are we lovers? Are we just friends? Oh, I believe, oh, I believe I'm in love again. Oh, you kiss it, feels so right. buzz and tell me what's happening this is the pyro light podcast episode 31 i of course am pyromaniac mo and guys give me a follow on twitter at pyromaniac mo that is at p-y-r-o-m-a-n-i-a-c-m-o i'm always tossing out fantasy football tweets analysis and stats so dropping the goo from twitter that's pyromaniac Mo, baby. All right. Today, ladies and gentlemen, I've got a fantasy football talk with writer and editor for NFL Media, Mr. Matt Harmon. Of course, Matt has made a name for himself with his analytical analysis, Reception Perception. So we're going to dive into his look at pass catchers. Matt drops some names of his favorite receivers in this year's draft. Plus, we discuss plenty of current NFL wide receivers, including... Arizona's explosive pass catchers, what the Lions are going to look like without Mr. Calvin Johnson, and a few of my favorites, including the Bucks, Mike Evans, Mr. Sneed, down in New Orleans, and plenty of others, so stay tuned. I also want to reiterate our excitement as we, at Pyro, are now on Blog Talk Radio. I was in communication with Jay Soderberg over there for many months, and uh, after conversation over the phone with Jay and D-Rex, of course, we finally made it happen, so we are really excited to be part of the Blog Talk Radio family. Now, you guys, of course, can still catch us on all your favorite podcast stations, and when you do, leave a review. In fact, just to remind you guys about our incentivized offer, if you leave a review for us on iTunes in 2016, we're going to raffle off a winner for a one-year subscription to Pyro Pro. With Pyro Pro, you get our in-season rankings, enjoy the write-ups for every ranked player, we answer any and all fantasy questions for Pyro Pro members, and of course you get the toolbox which is chalk 
full of fantasy charts for your statistical pleasure. So leave a review in 2016. We're going to raffle that off at the end of uh, this month. So get them in quick, ladies and gentlemen. Finally, we've got our draft kit out. Uh, the second version is on the shelf now. Uh, that is all you need to win your league and dominate your draft. So pick one up for $20. It is a weapon of mass fantasy destruction. That is the Pyromaniac Draft Kit available on pyromaniac.com. Today's music was a little band called The Donkeys, a tune called Excelsior Lady. Stay tuned after the show for the song in its entirety. All right, gang. Open up a Founders brew of your choice. Of course, Founders is brewed in Grand Rapids, Michigan. That is Beer City, USA. And they are a premier partner of, found, of uh, Pyro, so we want to thank Founders. So get one of their craft brewed beverages in your hand and stay tuned. Right around the corner, my fantasy football talk with Reception Perception creator Matt Harmon. All right, Pyromaniacs, as promised, I've got Matt Harmon on the other end of my computer screen. Matt Harmon, of course, is a fantasy football writer and editor for NFL Media. His work can also be found on The Football Guys. Of course, Matt is perhaps most noted for his work on reception perception. That's some analytical work he is doing. Uh, check out his site at TheBackyardBanter.com. Of course, you can follow his brain on Twitter at MattHarmon underscore B-Y-B. That is M-A-T-T-H-A-R-M-O-N underscore B-Y-B. Mr. Harmon, how are you, sir? Uh, I'm doing spectacular. Thank you so much for having me tonight. Um, just a warning for anybody that's going to follow my brain on Twitter. You're going to get a lot of uh, a lot of madness in there, too. <laughs> it is not just uh, football. It's, it's everything that goes on in the brain. It comes out on Twitter. To steal one from uh, Charles Bukowski, I am all for tales of ordinary madness. So uh, I, I sign up for madness any chance I can get. Oh, well, then you've come to the right place, my friend. <laughs> all right. All right. Now, Matt, you've been making the rounds uh, on the podcasts these days. Now, while I believe a lot of the pyromaniacs are going to be familiar with reception perception, and uh, even what you're doing, uh, which I really enjoy, the backyard banter, uh, talking to guys in the industry. It's sort of a non-fantasy football, fantasy football podcast, if you were. Uh, but why don't you tell some of the pyromaniacs that maybe aren't familiar with your work uh, where they can get a hold of some of the stuff you're doing? Yeah, so pretty much anything that's reception, perception, or backyard banter podcast related, you can find at thebackyardbanter.com. Even if I write, uh, you know, a freelance post for for the Washington Post or um, at something that football guys that has to do with reception, perception, I'm going to link it back to my site. So it's pretty much the main hub. You can find anything that I do there. Um, yeah, I mean. That's that that's my baby, so I, I try to keep it up. You know, that's where it all started was was backyard banter. So anything pretty much that's going to be reception perception or or the podcast related is going to go up through there. I mean, you can also, if you're interested in listening to the podcast, which just re, uh, recorded a great episode last night with Evan Silva that came out today, um, you can subscribe to that, of course, on iTunes, Stitcher, any any place that you can find podcasts, it, it's there. Um, it's been a really fun experience so far. I think people have really enjoyed it a lot more than I thought they were going to. 
Yeah, it's uh, really cool, and I would certainly recommend uh, Pyromaniacs to check out the Backyard Banter. It's uh, really cool, you know, asking people how they got started in the industry, and uh, um, you're, you're talking to some great guests, so I certainly enjoy that one. So uh, thank you as a fan. My um, pleasure. Matt, I, I kind of start off every podcast, and I'm sure we're going to get into uh, the reception perception, sort of its, its inception and uh, what you're seeing in guys these days, but... I try to start off every podcast by, by talking to folks in the industry and basically letting them know we're trying to pull back the curtain here at Pyro and essentially uh, try to share the wealth, make the world a bit smaller, as it were. So in that spirit, uh, is there any specific sites out there? Maybe it's not even a site, but maybe it's a data point or a metric, statistic, uh, something that you find particularly useful during the season that you can share with uh, pyromaniacs? Yeah, I think the site that I use most often during the season and that I cite a lot is um, uh, Football Outsiders DVOA. I think they take a lot into that metric, how they come up with, you know, what uh, what a defense is good against defending, you know, they rank things by how good are they against a number one receiver, number two, uh, so on and so forth. And, and really what I find the best is how good they are at defending the tight end. Um, they rank them one to 32. So I find that really a helpful metric to use when I'm putting together who are my sleepers for, for redraft leagues or maybe somebody like a, a deep tight end play in DFS, something like that. Uh, so they're probably one of my favorites. Um, specific sites, I think that Rotoviz does a great job with all of their apps. Um, I, I always subscribe to them, you know, year in and year out uh, to get their their data. They put a lot of interesting things together there. They're great, especially um, for the the game splits app. I think anybody can find a use for that. You know, how does this player perform when he's paired up with this quarterback? This, that, and the other. Um, that's those are two probably. Those are two probably of my biggest resources during the season. Um, of course, I think there's a lot of other ones. Like uh, one that people don't talk about a lot is Four for Four's adjusted uh, strength, uh, uh, stre- schedule adjusted uh, defensive pa- fantasy points allowed, which is really interesting because I think there's a lot of uh, unnecessary noise that goes into like fantasy points against, and I, I think it's kind of silly to to even really mention to be honest with you like this defense is 26 and fantasy points allowed to running backs I, I don't even find that to be useful information but I, I like that 4 for 4 adjusts it for schedule because you know maybe it's not so impressive or maybe a defense is it doesn't say so much about a defense if they're 32nd in fantasy points allowed to running backs when they face Adrian Peterson Todd Gurley and like Le'Veon Bell in three weeks you know that doesn't doesn't really mean all that much to me but adjusting it for schedule makes it interesting um but I think probably my favorite is definitely football outsiders like they I feel like what their DVOA ends up being and how it ranks out it really jives a lot with what I see when I'm watching teams on a week-to-week basis yeah, I'll second all of the things you said. You know, we're going to get into uh, some wide receiver discussion here, and I, in fact, uh, use Rotoviz looking at some of the splits, game splits. For example, uh, uh, Golden Tate when he's with and without Calvin Johnson. Uh, and even uh, I'm looking at the Football Outsiders right now, of course, Pyromaniacs. We've mentioned this one before. It's a free one, but I love the the defense where you mentioned it versus types of receivers. You can see you know, how Denver was versus a number one receiver, number two, 
uh, the tight end versus running back versus other receivers. I think that is fantastic. So uh, check it out, Pyromaniacs. Those are all uh, good tips and ones I use myself. So, Matt, without further ado, uh, reception perception. As I said, you've been really making the rounds and talking to a lot of folks in the industry. Give us the breakdown. How did you come up with this idea and define it for us? What exactly is reception perception? Sure. So how I came up with the idea, uh, and this has a lot to do with what I talk about on my podcast, you know, wanting to find something that is a unique piece of content that can help you stand out to get into the industry, um, but also something that I wanted to see. You know, that's what I tell people when they're like, well, okay, I need to find that unique piece of content. What do I do? I always ask them, well, what's something you want to see? What's something that you would, as a as a fan, as a, as a consumer of content, what's something that you wish it was out there that isn't out there? Well, then go be the one to do that. And I've always loved the wide receiver position, so I wanted to study it in depth and – Looking at it, I've always thought that the position is incredibly anecdotally analyzed. You know, you hear broadcast announcers on Sundays say, like, well, this quarterback, you know, he doesn't have anyone to throw to. Nobody's getting open. Or, you know, this wide receiver is always open, but he just doesn't have the quarterback to hit him. Well, I wanted to go in and quantify that. You know, I'm all about taking qualitative uh realities and what's going on in our lives and putting it into quantifiable data points because I think that's just that's what people want they want to understand things in that fashion it just makes it easier then when you hear on scouting reports well this guy's a good route runner okay well let's put a data point to that you know let's go let's like I said let's quantify that and I think that's what reception perception does it reveals essentially everything about a wide receiver you know everything they're asked to do how often they run each particular route on the route tree and then also how often they're successful doing that you know how often do they get open when they run slant routes how often do they get open when they run post or nine routes down the field where you know where are they most successful at at beating coverage and what kinds of coverage are they good against are they just a guy that that gets open against a lot of zone coverage or are they guy are they a player that beats you know press man defenses so and then there's also some ancillary metrics like uh, contested catch conversion rate and how often they break tackles in space. So I think those are those are like a lot of the components of it, but it really is just designed to give you a full-scale picture of what a wide receiver is, what he does well, and how he compares to his peers because then you can look at – you know, success rate versus coverage and stack them all up together and see who are the best guys at getting open versus man coverage or, or – or, or who's not so good at that. And it helps you just make more informed decisions and just be more educated about receivers. Yeah, it's it's really kind of a beautiful thing to look at. Uh, graphically, I don't know if that's uh, right brain or left brain, but uh, I, I think you, you keep both hemispheres happy with your site. Uh, you got a lot of the, the data broken down, and then you can just look at the graphic and the, the route tree success rate. Now, on there, what you mentioned quite often, and you alluded to it, the success rate versus coverage scores, um, would you say that's the most uh, important thing or is that the most revealing thing that reception perception um, analyzes? Well, it's the most unique thing about it because what I'm doing is watching these guys on a on a route-to-route basis. You know, I'm not just looking at at their targets or even their catches, but even when a play doesn't go to them and they're still just running a route, that's what I'm looking at that. And I think that's really a great way to judge performance because, you know, the wide receiver position is so dependent on other factors like – you know, the uh, the quarterback to get them the ball, the the offensive line to block, to get, let the quarterback 
have the time he needs to get the ball to them and then whether the coaches have designed the play to go to them or not. But all that the the wide receiver can control is is running his route, and that's his opportunity on every given play to perform well. So that's what I'm charting. I'm charting performance on, on every single route. So I do think it does it translates well to player quality, you know, how often they're getting open because that's the only thing they can control as an individual. So it's definitely the most – it's the key metric to reception perception. It's the most important one, um, and it's my favorite. It's my favorite because it's the one I think that stands out the most. Yeah, and it, it certainly stands out, and that's what I think a lot of the graphics allude to, and I, I think it's very revealing um, when you're looking at a specific receiver. Now, let, speaking of specific receivers, now we were talking a little bit before we hit the record button, and I confess that I'm woefully behind. Uh, we got the draft coming up soon, or uh, the uh, um, yeah, the NFL draft coming up this weekend, I guess. I'm woefully behind on my research, so I'm counting on you, Mr. Harmon. Help me in the pyromaniacs out there. Now, one guy uh, I've heard you speak of, Laquan Treadwell. Now, you pointed out some interesting things, and he's sort of a polarizing cat that he uh, looks great on the field, uh, but of course didn't perform so well at the underwear Olympics, as it were. In fact, you know, numbers like uh, 33 and a half vertical leap at his pro day, which I think was actually half an inch better uh, than he did in Indy. Uh, now, last year, uh, Treadwell caught 82 of 126 targeted balls for a respectable 65%, a little over average, but he failed to secure 16 passes that were jump balls. Now, this left some wondering if his injury, which I believe occurred on the 1st of November 2014, he uh, fractured his tibia, dislocated his ankle. Some wondered if this was sort of a lingering cause to his, I don't know, lack of ups, as it were. Despite his poor performance uh, in the drills and the analytics, the guy's a beast on game day. He, he really displays that my ball mentality. In fact, in 42 of his 48 receptions that resulted in a first down, he broke at least one tackle. In fact, his physical play credited nearly 70% of his 2015 yards were gained after the catch. So here we have a guy, looks great on film, on game day, on Saturday, in colleges looks great, but didn't do so well uh, at the Combine and his pro day. What are your feelings on Treadwell, and does the fact that he didn't perform well, does that, how much do you weigh that? Well, it's definitely a factor. You know, there are a lot of good analysts out there that are doing solid work with, um, athletic testing measurements and especially uh, age-adjusted measurements. Um, and I think those do a really good job of painting like a range of outcomes or, or who's likely to hit, you know, a guy that tests better and is very productive, especially on an age-adjusted basis. I think those, like those guys have a stronger percentage chance to be good NFL players. But I don't think that that mean if they don't perform in those ways, that it means that they're not, uh, you know, they're guaranteed to not perform at the NFL level. And I, so I think Treadwell is definitely an exception to the athletic measurements rule. Um, I think he's, I mean, I think he's a stud. He's one of my favorite receivers in this draft class. He has a, a top, one of the better scores, success rate versus man coverage, zone coverage, and press coverage. You know, he's a guy that routinely wins on his routes. You know, I've, I've seen some analysts say that he struggles to get separation. And, and frankly, I just don't know where they got that from. Like, I, I think that he is a guy that 
consistently gets open on all, at all levels of the field, even though he's not that athletically gifted. You know, I think I'm actually writing about Treadwell right now. I'm hoping to finish the piece tonight um, and hopefully have it out there tomorrow morning. You know, I think that he's a guy that, you know, we've expected Laquan Treadwell to be a top prospect for a long time. You know, he was a high-level recruit, came out in an old Miss, and he got off to a good start with his career, obviously got hurt, but we've kind of always penciled him in as, a, as one of the top receivers in his draft class whenever he came out. And I think when that happens, we tend to, one, kind of senselessly eventually look to, to bring those guys' stock down. But also I yeah. think that we – we tend to just overlook their like nuanced performances and how good of a route runner is this player, especially when they're a big wide receiver. We look for good route running with smaller receivers because it's kind of, we know they're going to have to win that way. But I think Treadwell like technically is a very refined prospect. And you mentioned how good he is after the catch. Like he can certainly make dynamic plays, even though he's not a dynamic athlete. So I love Treadwell. I think he's, I think he's fantastic. He's, he's one of my favorite players and he's going to be, and because he's become so polarizing, I think he's going to, be an interesting NFL case, but I also totally see myself like several times during the next season or the next couple seasons being like, you know, those typical sarcastic tweets like, hmm, I'm shocked that Laquan Treadwell is good at football. I'm, I'm shocked because <laughs> um, right. I think that's how it's going to end up playing out. So being that you're, you're watching game day footage, when you um, formulate an opinion on like a Laquan Treadwell and he doesn't live up to uh, what many people wanted to see uh, when he was running his drills. Does that really change your opinion? Do you lower him in your, um, I don't, I don't want to say rankings because I know you don't do that, but uh, does, it, does it lessen him in your eyes or are you solely based off what you see on game day? Well, I think it's important to weigh everything. I think that I would caution any listener out there that, has the season analyst that's like my process is the only one that matters or I only listen to information that is similar to the the information that I put out there I think that's a dangerous thing to do I think you should take all things into consideration all data points matter and the combine data points certainly matter um again I I, I would I would say that it paints like that range of outcomes and maybe gives you a certain margin for error. Maybe Laquan Treadwell has a smaller margin for error than other prospects do. Um, but, you know, I don't think that it changes so much because when you go back and you watch him perform and you look at his reception perception results, they're just so outstanding that I, I worry less about it. I mean, it's again, it's something that I'm not just going to ignore because I don't like I don't like that brand of analysis to just be like, well, combine doesn't matter or, you know, the eye in the sky never lies. I don't think that's necessarily true, but I think that Treadwell shows all the necessary abilities on game day to make you think that um, his lack of, you know, straight line speed uh, is going to be a huge problem for him. So with Treadwell, now correct me if I'm wrong, I've heard you say that he's your favorite, but I can't exactly ask you um, who you have ranked Number one, uh, explain to me and Pyromaniacs um, why reception perception doesn't really rank players that way in, in the typical way that people, you know, people love lists. They want yeah. top five, number one. Who who do you like uh, ranked above this guy? Explain to me your, your theory on that. Yeah, I mean, I can still spitball rankings. Like if, if you ask me who my number one receiver in the class would be, I would I would say it's Treadwell. But first, I'll just take this from like a holistic point about rankings. Um, I don't care for them, uh, because 
it's just not the type of analysis I like to do. Um, I like to just tell you, do I like this player or do I not? You know, like I liked, I like Josh Doxson and Laquan Treadwell and Corey Coleman and Sterling Shepard. Does it really matter right now, especially before the NFL draft, who I have number one? I don't think that, that you gain anything by that because I, you know, if you wanted, if you wanted to say to me, if it was your opinion that Josh Doxson was better than Laquan Treadwell, I don't care enough. <laughs> and like, that's just there. That's the bottom line. I don't care enough to sit here and debate that back and forth. Like, because those guys are my one and two. I like them both. I think that, you know, putting them in an arbitrary order just doesn't really matter to me. So I'm never going to be the guy that just gives you a list of, of rankings. I do, I will do rankings when, when, a, when one of my uh, places of employment asks for it, uh, I'm certainly going to oblige, but if I have the choice, it's not going to be something I do. Um, and from a reception perception standpoint, I actually just recently wrote about this on backyard banter, why there will never be like an overall cumulative grade for reception perception, you know, something that, and I'm sure this is possible. I'm sure that there are people smart enough out there to do it to take all the data points, you know, the success rate versus man coverage, zone coverage, contested catch, conversion rate, et cetera, et cetera, and combine them all into like one grade and then which would, you know, subsequently rank the players, you know, put them on right. a one to 20 basis. Um, I will, as long as the series is under my control completely, it, you know, again, unless uh, one of my places of employment <laughs> asks for it, Sure. Uh, I, I'm never going to do that because I think that takes away the point from the point of the series. You know, the point of reception perception is to illuminate what they do well and what they don't do well. You know, there are guys that have poor. Like I would, I would say, like if you ask me, what if you're going to do that that ranking? What's the what's the number one trait that you would weigh that you would weigh heavily or, or more heavy than others in this? overall, you know, cumulative ranking, I would say it's probably success rate versus man coverage and press coverage, because that's very important to NFL success, in my opinion. Um, but there are players that have poor success rate versus man coverage scores that I think are really good players, and they have other things to their game that make it worth that the fact that they have, you know, average to below average success rate versus coverage scores. So I think they're going to get dinged in this overall, you know, grade or whatever, and again, then you're asking, then you're bringing like subjectivity into it. And there's always a little bit of subjectivity whenever you're talking about film analysis sure. because everybody sees different things and, and there's just no, that's, but that's also the beauty of it in my opinion. But so I'm, a little, I'm ranting a little bit here, but like that, uh, the idea just kind of grosses me out because it takes away from the point of the series, which is just to define what they do well and tell you what a player does well and where he's going to fit, not who's better than who. And like, I know that that's what gets attention and gets grabby right. headlines and stuff like that. But to me, that's not what the series is about. That's not the, the point of it. It's just to tell you, this is what happened on the field. Now, as an analyst, I can interpret that data for you and tell you why Demarius Thomas's reception perception might not be as good as a Des Bryant. And while I think Des Bryant is better because of that, but I don't think it needs to be broken down into this one, you know, number. I think that takes away from the point. Well, having, you know, over the years, uh, I'm a sort of stat geek, although I'm an English teacher by heart. I, I love uh, statistics. You know, I'm a deadhead and fishhead, and I used to actually do fantasy fish, where I'd go see a fish show and uh, 
you know, list the songs I think they're going to sing in the first set and the percentage of times they sung songs in the second set. So I, I, I get off on that stuff, and I know a lot of uh, pyromaniacs and fantasy heads really uh, geek out on stats, but, boy, mm. you know, with Game Pass and watching the guys, that, to me, the eye test is always going to be um, the best bang for your buck, going to give you the best tell of what you see regardless of what some of the stats may say. You know, and so. and, and and the I'm sorry to kind of cut you off there. No, but, go for it. You know, that's what I think reception perception does is it is it sh- puts film analysis and what happens on the field, which again, like you mentioned, is the most important part. Like, gee, I never thought it would be controversial to evaluate a player ba- a person their performance at their job evaluate them by their performance at the job, you know? Right, <laughs> and right. I think that's what reception perception does is it takes film analysis, but it, it puts it into a number. That's what, and that's what analytics are. You know, it's, it's just a collection of data and that's what reception perception is. It's analytics. It's a, it's a collection of data, you know, so it's easy to digest and confirm. Like you don't have to read, you know, my, my film notes or whatever. And people do a great job with that. But I think that, People want to see things in an analytics way, a, a broken down into numbers, and like so that you can easily compare this guy's performance against this guy's performance. Right. Um, but but yeah, so I think that that's kind of what the series aims to do is to to take what happens on the field and make it into a, a numbers form for people to understand and, and make it easier to compare that way. So, being that you've watched a ton of these college guys, and admittedly, being I haven't had as much time to watch some of these guys and, and give them the eye test, which we both agree I think is so telling. Besides Treadwell, what are some guys, and we've been spoiled the last few years, man. Uh, these boys coming out of college have just lit the world on fire. Uh, fantasy players have been able to grab rookies, plug them in, and play them, and uh, achieve fantasy glory. Now, I don't know if that is uh, going to be the case this year, but not even ranking them. Who are some guys, Treadwell, of course, but who are some guys that you think are going to be perhaps viable fantasy receivers? And uh, again, we don't know where they're going at. We don't know situation, but just talent-wise, what you see on tape, who are going to be some viable fantasy players uh, that are going to be rookies this year? Yeah, Josh Doxson comes to mind because I think, you know, you talk about contested catch conversion rate. He was easily the top performer in the class at, con- at winning contested catches, uh, 85% conversion rate, which was, you know, far and away the best score. I think that's like a clear trump card trait for him. You know, he's going to get on the field right away and win balls in traffic for his quarterback, um, whoever that may be. And it's something, like I said, it's going to get him on the field early and it's going to be a strong indicator of future success for him. So I, I like Doxon to be a guy that, that can contribute early but also, like, grow into a long-term, you know, 1A, 1B sort of role. You know, maybe an ideal flanker that gets a lot of targets, hopefully, in a high-volume passing offense. So I think Doxon's somebody to watch out for. Uh, Sterling Shepard is, is one of my favorites in the draft class. Um, he had the easily the best uh, success rate versus man and press coverage in the class, 82.8% success rate versus man coverage, 91.1%. Um, success rate versus press coverage. And, and like I said, those are two very key uh, indicators of, of future NFL success to me. You're going to see a lot of tight physical coverage in, in the NFL, and I think that Shepard's going to be able to defeat that. I think he can alternate between playing outside and slot receiver. So if he ends up 
in a high volume passing offense and in a role that that's going to allow him to flourish and move around the formation. I I could see him getting on the field right away because he's the best route runner, bar none, no discussion in this draft class um, to me. Uh, and so that's going to endear himself to his his NFL team right away, and it's going to be something that coaches are going to like Sterling Shepard, but I'll, I'll tell you that. And so he's a guy that I could see contributing right away. And Corey Coleman, while he needs some refinement in terms of you know running routes and, and getting more accomplished at doing a lot of different things, I think a coaching staff could craft a role for him right away uh, as a rookie that gets – gets him the ball in, in favorable situations, um, gets him out in space for him to use his great uh, tackle-breaking ability. Um, so I think he can get in that kind of role pretty quickly, but he could also, uh, as he grows and, and learns to be a full-time receiver. But again, you know, like you mentioned, I think we've been spoiled the last few years, you know, that we've, we've yeah. seen guys just from all over the draft class contribute. But last year was kind of a, a little bit of a sobering year in, like, a lot of these guys we expected to do a lot of different things year one, but a bunch of them got hurt. Uh, really, only Amari Cooper was like a, a week-to-week guy that you could consider in fantasy football. So I think that was kind of a, a little bit of an overcorrection from 2014, but definitely something to remind us that some of these guys, we don't need to you know write them off forever if they don't perform in, in year one. And, and, and some of these guys might not do that, but those four are the guys that I think they're my top four receivers in the class, my four favorite, and I expect – them to make immediate impacts. Um, and there are some other guys too, but those are the four main ones. Those are the four main guys. Now, uh, so we've got uh, Shepard, Daxon, um, of course we mentioned Treadwell, and Coleman. Now, I heard you, I think you're talking to a, a friend of the podcast here at, at a Pyromaniac Light, um, Sigmund Bloom. I think that's where I heard you talking about Carew a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. What do you think of this kid? I've been hearing more and more analysts talk about him. Well, what's your take on him? Yeah, there are guys that like Carew a lot more than me. Um, again, I mentioned guys that do good work with production-based uh, analysis, and Carew is very productive in college for, for the Rutgers offense. Um, but to me, so I think that they, those guys are going to like him a lot more than me. But I think Cruz is a really solid prospect. Um, I have him kind of in that like seven-ish range in terms of rankings, um, just based on you know pure talent and all that. Uh, he's a guy that was very good at releasing from press coverage. One of the better scores in that regard in this class. Um, he was also a guy that runs some pretty clean routes. Um, he is, is good playing the ball in the air. I think he'll be a really solid number two complimentary receiver. And I think he's a guy that could be pro ready and get on the field right away, especially if he goes to like, I think he would be a perfect fit in Cincinnati, you know, a, a place where they don't necessarily need uh, a, a wide receiver two to produce on a week to week basis. Cause they have a strong number one, they have a stud tight end, but when Carew would theoretically be there, when they needed him, and I think he could be great in that type of role. I think he could yeah. get on the field and contribute right away. Um, the thing with him, what I think, why I don't have him as high as others, is I think his ceiling might not be as great as others think. Uh, just because if you look at him, he's like a, a kind of a squat guy, like he's short but very stout build. And while that's great, and it kind of helps him be like a little bowling ball in routes and after the catch. He's also somebody that I think struggles against longer, more physical cornerbacks, and I think you'll see that exacerbated at the pro level because that's there's just more of those guys defending you at the NFL level. 
Yeah, and like you mentioned, uh, Cincinnati could be a great spot for a number two. Basically having two number twos, uh, Sanu and Jones, just vacate town. So uh, they could be looking for a guy just like Carew. Now, Marvin Jones vacates Cincy and heads to uh, my team, Detroit. Now, this was an interesting one, and I recently, just now actually, uh, tweeted your take on Golden Tate and uh, his whether he's going to replace Calvin or not. Now, if you look at the numbers from last year, two, or I'm sorry, two years ago, 2014, when Tate was not in, and now there were some of those games where, or I'm sorry, when uh, Calvin Johnson was not in, there were some games when Calvin Johnson was basically just a decoy, but there was three games without Johnson, and Tate filled in pretty well, uh, about um, – Ten more PPR points per game in those three. Uh, two and a half, roughly, more receptions. Uh, about a little bit over five more targets in those three games without Calvin. Now, of course, he's going to be without Calvin this year. Um, it, Tate is also a bit of a polarizing figure. He's great after the catch. But uh, you pointed out he's not going to be able to fill what Calvin Johnson did. He's not going to fill his shoes. After all, Calvin Johnson, he was running longer routes, and I think reception perception basically pointed that out. Tate, uh, the average depth of target, was uh, just 5.8. But Q, um, Marvin Jones, coming in from Cincinnati, who had an average depth of target, uh, 12.8, very similar to Calvin. So what is your take? I'm, I'm very hopeful on Golden Tate. Uh, just a few, two years ago, 2014, he was 11th in PPR, 24th last year. And again, now that the OC uh, Lombardi is gone, he did much better under Cooter, averaged 15 points per game under Cooter, just a bit over 10 with Lombardi. So I really think that Jones is going to be kind of filling that uh, Calvin Johnson role, and I think Tate is going to kind of excel uh, where he does the last uh, eight games of the season, he had one of the, I think, the highest catch percentage, 88% in the league the last eight games of the season. So tell me what your thoughts are on Golden Tate and what reception perception revealed. I like Golden Tate a lot because he's kind of a punk. <laughs> and I mean, like, I say that with the term of endearment because I like those guys. Uh, if you, He's just a fun player to watch on, on Game Pass, especially because you'll see him, like, always have something – to say after a catch and run, you know, yeah. he has, he likes to jostle with defenders and I appreciate, I mean, I appreciate players with personalities. So I like Golden Tate a lot. Um, my whole point in the, in the article that you're referencing was just that, and you mentioned those splits. Um, I just don't want to see people come fantasy draft time, keep highlighting those splits and, ex, you know, exacerbate them to a 16 game or extrapolate them to a 16 game sample right. size, because I think there's a lot of danger in that. You know, it's, it's a different season to different offense. Um, even with Calvin Johnson, you know, essentially being a decoy uh, that dictates coverage for, for teams. They still have to dedicate resources to, to defend Calvin Johnson. I think Tate's a good player. Somebody was pointing this out to me last night that he's still wide receiver 32 in MFL 10 ADP. I think uh, that's what they were telling me. And like at that price, I'm totally buying for fantasy because I think he's going to have some solid weeks, but he would have to be heavily targeted to be like a top 
15-ish fantasy receiver to me. And I just don't think that you want to run your offense through a player like that. I mean, if you look at an article I wrote on NFL.com at the end of the season, offenses that tried to run through slot receivers really struggled last year. Um, You talk about the Miami offense with Jarvis Landry, the Green Bay offense with Randall Cobb, the Eagles offense with Jordan Matthews. Like, it's just hard. You need an an outside uh, coverage dictator, which brings me to Marvin Jones. And I haven't posted Marvin Jones's reception perception anywhere, but I there's and there's a lot of guys that I have the data on that I haven't written up yet. Whether I and how I'm going to release them in the summer will be a, you know another discussion. But if you look at Jones's reception perception, you, you mentioned he was used as a deep threat a lot in Cincinnati, and that was that's really not what he does best to me, which is interesting because I, I found him much more successful on you know, kind of possession receiver routes. And and he has the best contested catch conversion rate that I've ever charted. 90% success rate on contested catches last year, which is oh. really impressive. Um, He's a guy that's great playing the ball in traffic, really tough receiver, routinely makes the first defender miss after the catch. Um, And a guy that he gets open on slants, curls, digs, comebacks, you know, those kind of just not deep routes like the nine route or anything, but, but that's sort of, sort of short to intermediate range. So, I really like those two guys kind of in conjunction. I think they probably still need a number one receiver. I don't think that either one of those guys is that player and it wouldn't shock, like it wouldn't shock me. I don't think it's going to happen, but if they decided to like shoot for the moon with like a Laquan Treadwell or a Corey Coleman at pick 16 or wherever they're at in the draft this year, um, maybe pick 15. I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, it wouldn't shock me because I think those guys could be like lid poppers, you know, especially Coleman. Like he would have the speed that to get downfield that I think those two don't necessarily have. But I think they're going to complement each other really well, and they definitely have. He was like Jones is a good addition. I'm not going to probably be like beating up my other owners to get one of those two guys on my fantasy team, but there's there'll certainly be guys, you know, if they're around in in the sixth to seventh round range that I'll start looking at them. Yes, yeah, and I think a lot of it depends on how Cooter is in the, the offensive coordinator there in Detroit is going to use Jones. Uh, is he is going to, and also how he's going to use Tate. If My he keeps too. kind of Tate in that same role that he's in, I think he's going to do great. He he finished, uh, I think it was 11th in PPR, 24th uh, last year, 11th the previous year. But if he tries to, you know, force a square peg into a round hole, it it, it might not come to fruition. Now. Uh, you say he was, what, 32 roughly in MFL 10s? He's uh, basically 25th off the board in uh, the fantasy football calculator. Now, I like MFL 10 better because you're you're drafting against real people with, you know, some jelly beans on the line, some coin on the line, whereas some of these, uh, the fantasy football calculators, you're drafting against guys who maybe pay attention the first six rounds and then they drop out or mm-hmm. the computer's drafting half the time. So I think the MFL 10s are a little more uh, realistic but, yeah, currently going on Finnish Football Calculator in the fifth, and certainly that's going to be watered down once the uh, draft happens. But uh, that's getting to be top price. But I really like the potential if they keep him in his same similar role. I, I like the potential of Golden State finishing up an easy wide receiver, too, in uh, PPR. A guy I really like finishing a certainly wide receiver. One, a guy I could very well be targeting, is uh, Mike Evans. People bring up drops. As soon as you say Mike Evans' name, that's the first thing you hear is drops. Now, I've heard you have an interesting take on drops. And uh, what's your feeling on 
Mike Evans, to me, he's a guy I think is going to take a huge step forward. If you look at Jameis Winston, I mean, he's a rookie. Jameis Winston, his second half, uh, weeks 9 through 17, he was the seventh best fantasy football quarterback. And I think as goes Winston, Mike Evans is going to progress as well. And uh, Mike Evans, he, he was a uh, wide receiver number one in 33% of his games. So what are you seeing for Mike Evans, and what are your feelings on his drops? Yeah, I'm totally with you on Evans. That entire take I pretty much support. Um, if you look at drops with a wide receiver, you know, it's and you mentioned it's the first thing people bring up with Evans. He's not alone in that. There's a lot of people, you know, you'll bring sure. up a point about a player, and they'll be like, yeah, well, he drops too many passes. To yeah. me, I think that's just a poor way to evaluate the position as a whole because, you know, I mentioned like earlier about wide receivers being in, inherently very – dependent on other positions um so when you when you go in and watch them like i do on a route to route basis and you're taking in so much data that way it feels just crazy to you know to say something like yeah well he can't catch the football well yeah he can you know he catches more passes than he drops i promise you that if if, if their drops are that bad and you're like greg little you're not even on a roster anymore, you know, like they're, they're, that's different to me. So like, that's just something, it's just something that people say, but it doesn't really mean anything. It doesn't provide any more context and, and drops are an incredibly context. Like they need context. Are they focused drops yeah. or are they, do they struggle in traffic? Because there are some things that are easier to correct than others. Like there are players that can't just can't track the football. They really struggle to, Watch it into their hands. They have bad hand-eye coordination. But then there are other players like T.O., Brandon Marshall, Amari Cooper. The list goes on and on of these really good players that have focus drops. But are you real? Like, and again, that comes back to the point. Tell me what the player can do. Tell me what they can do to make it worth living through the drops. And I think Mike Evans is a great example that dropped a lot of passes for one, just one year. Like, you know, it wasn't a big promise rookie year or drops or anything like that. Like, one year, dropped a lot of passes. But look at all that Mike Evans can do for your football team. And really another reason that people ding him is that he caught three touchdowns last year. Um, I, I don't expect that to ever happen again his entire career. Uh, right. His reception perception was much better in 2015 than it was as a rookie in 2014 because I think he was a more consistent route runner, a more refined technician, and that's something that's going to help him cont to continue to improve in the coming years. He'll still be the wide receiver one in Tampa Bay, no question about that. And if he continues to develop that route running craft, if the drops and touchdowns kind of come to a normalized basis – I think you're looking at a guy that's going to be a number one fantasy receiver this year. I think everything is breaking that way. And, and if people devalue him because he dropped some passes and he didn't catch, you know, 12 touchdowns again, then it's good for you in, in your league. Yeah, absolutely. Return on investment. You're going to be able to get him much cheaper uh, because people remember the drops and because people see he didn't have that many touchdowns. But there has to be. Uh, positive touchdown regression for a guy the second half of the season had the fourth most yards of any wide receiver and had the fourth most targets, 92 targets from weeks 9 through 17, but only had two touchdowns in that time, has to be some positive regression. Now, also in Tampa, a guy I liked last year, uh, it got hurt, and of course, you know, that happens, but uh, Vincent Jackson, now in, in six of eight seasons, uh, Vincent Jackson has played 15 games, six of eight seasons. In six of eight seasons, he's put up 150 
fantasy points. That's PPR. In six of eight seasons, he's put up over a thousand yards. So, barring health, as, as long as he doesn't get injured, uh, what do you think of uh, Vincent Jackson uh, down in Tampa this year? Yeah, um, I'm kind of backing away from from Vince Jackson. I mean, unless he comes incredibly cheap, which which he certainly might. Um, if you look just over the last few years at some of the bigger receivers as they get older, um, if they don't kind of mold their game into that of, of like a big slot receiver or a short to intermediate possession receiver, they really are in danger of just kind of completely falling off the cliff. Um, and, and I, you know, it's, it's a totally different role from what Vincent Jackson has played his entire career. You know, he's been for the longest time, like a sideline guy that, you know, that can get deep and really high point the ball. If those skills start to erode, which I think they are, it's tough for those bigger receivers to stay on the field unless they, like I said, they become, you know, really good route runners in the possession game area or even, you know, move into like a big Marcus Colston slot type of role. Um, you met, we were talking about Calvin Johnson earlier. I don't think Calvin Johnson had any interest in doing that, which is why he retired, yeah. you know, because no. he didn't want to play. If he, he didn't want to play football anymore if he wasn't at his physical peak and, you know, didn't yeah. didn't want to do all that, you know, and I'm, hey, I don't blame him. I wouldn't want to do it either, you know, <laughs> like play all the because it's just a different position if you're going to play that game. So I'm not that interested in Vincent Jackson again, in, like unless it's the best bully, he comes really cheap. You know, it's uh, it, it's probably just not a guy that's going to be on my radar this year. Currently going in the 12th round in 12-team uh, leagues. I, I think there could be some value there, uh, but I'm certainly more excited about Evans, and uh, that's a guy I'm really targeting. I think Vincent Jackson might give you some return on investment. Um, he's done it before. I think he can do it again, even at his uh, advanced age. But uh, a, a guy I really like is certainly Evans. Another guy I like that I, I think you're working on is uh, Sneed down in New Orleans. Um, it, a lot of people are, I think, overlooking Sneed. Um, certainly, we've got the, the Fleener acquisition, but You've got 177 vacated targets between Colston and Watson. Both of those guys are now gone. Sneed had uh, 101 targets last year, nearly 1,000 yards, just three touchdowns. And technically, it was his second year in the league. And uh, he didn't get any game time in 2014, was on some practice squads. So he wasn't officially a rookie, but the first time he saw game minutes, game snaps. Uh, what do you think about Sneed down in New Orleans? Yeah, I love Willie Sneed. Um, yeah. Big, big fan. Uh, like you mentioned, I just recently finished up his reception perception. Um, good. I mean, he's a good, he's a good football player. He, he gets open against all forms of coverage. He's a good, just solid under, underneath intermediate receiver, good route runner. And Drew Brees has always elevated those guys to fantasy success. I mean, he's very comparable, I think, to like a Lance Moore type of player, but maybe a little bit better, a little bit tougher and more explosive. Um, I, I like Willie Sneed a lot. I, I I will scoop him up if he's a value in every fantasy league this year. I've already made moves to acquire him in a lot of my dynasty leagues. Um, he's on a few of my best ball rosters already. I mean, he's going to get a lot of targets there. I mean, I think everybody is is everybody likes Brandon Cooks, and Cooks is a good player. I think Sneed will be a more consistent performer. Um, maybe just not have the high ceiling that Cooks does. And also everybody's fawning over Kobe Fleener right now because tight ends yeah. have been targeted X amount of times in, you know, New Orleans Saints history. 
Um, a lot of those tight ends have been a lot better than Kobe Fleener. Um, I think that Snead could finish with more targets than Fleener. I think that's completely possible. Um, he's just a really good quality football player in a good situation. Um, the only caveat would be if, if New Orleans sinks high draft capital, capital, capital in a wide receiver, that would be a problem. But other than that, I don't see any bars to Snead being a really solid fantasy receiver this year. Yeah, I have uh, wrote him up as uh, one of my uh, big return on investment guys. Great ADP value uh, is Snead going in the 10th round right now in 12-team leagues. Um, another real polarizing team, I suppose, but they've got guys I like. Another Notre Damer, Michael Floyd. they got John Brown, of course, Fitzgerald. Who do you like? Let's. I guess let's start with Floyd in Arizona. A lot of people have him pegged to be the guy to go first. Uh, Pyromaniacs, we are talking with uh, Matt Harmon here, uh, Reception Perception. And, of course, Pyromaniacs, we are uh, soon to be releasing our third version of our draft kit. Almost every guy at Pyro has, I believe, Michael Floyd uh, ranked the highest. I'm still debating, and I've still got Fitzgerald above Floyd because Fitzgerald has done it before, and I'm just not sure who's going to break out. Is it going to be Floyd? Is it going to be Brown? Floyd, of course, had 500-yard games in his last seven, but of course the guy had seven games below eight fantasy points last year in PPR. So he's a real uh, high ceiling and a low floor guy. What do you think about Michael Floyd, my old Notre Dame boy? Yeah, I like Floyd a lot. Um He'll be an interesting player, like, if he gets to move on in free agency or in, in the next couple of years if, if Fitzgerald's gone, to see if he can ever be anything more than that boom or bust type of guy. Because he's, he's essentially been that way really since Bruce Arians got there. Um, I like Floyd a lot. I certainly think that if he can stay healthy, he will post really strong numbers in that passing offense. I, I like Floyd, but but to me, John Brown's my dude. I love John. Okay. Yeah, I love John Brown. Yeah. Um, he, he's, I think he's the most consistent receiver on that roster really during when they were all healthy, he was the guy that had the best catch rate, the, but still maintained a pretty high average depth of target. I mean, he was a guy that just was used in a lot of different ways. He's not just a deep threat, which I think everybody kind of wants to pencil in as because he's small and fast, but definitely a good route runner gets open underneath and, I think he could be like he's essentially, and I got I got a lot of flack for saying this uh, prior to last season um, when I kind of first showed up at NFL.com and people were actually paying attention to what I had to say. Um, I, I said that John Brown's, you know, his worst case scenario is what T.Y. Hilton already is. Like, and to me, I think he is the same. Like, he's the same player essentially, but to me, he's better because he's he's got better hands in traffic and he's just an overall more consistent route runner than than Hilton is. I love Brown. It's just a matter of how the targets are going to get divvied up, and that's hard because Fitzgerald's always going to garner his share of the looks, even though I do think that he's, you know, we forget because he had a good playoff run that he was essentially kind of being phased into that. Like I mentioned earlier, the big slot receiver possession role was really, you know, had a very low average depth of target. This didn't have that high ceiling necessarily, but he's always going to command a big share of the pie. So all these guys are probably not going to be, super reliable week to week, but Brown is my favorite. I think he's always going to be the guy that gets overlooked because he's smaller and doesn't have the pedigree of the other two. Yeah. Now, as I said, Floyd, uh, seven games in PPR below eight fantasy points. But of course, everyone remembers those last 
the last seven games had five over 100 yards. John Brown only had one last year, one game below eight fantasy points. Now, out of the three guys, who are you taking? Who's going to finish highest in fantasy in 2016? Fitzgerald, Floyd, or Brown? Um, You know, like I mentioned, I think Brown will be the most consistent option because he does all things very well. That's a tough. That's a tough question. <laughs> um, I'll probably say, I'll say Brown. I'm gonna say Brown because that's my that's my guy. Um, I'm and I I reserve the right to, to to change that stance, but he's the guy I'm gonna go with. I think that third year will be his biggest yet. Yeah, it's it's interesting, and I'm always kind of going back and forth between Floyd and Brown, and I'm still kind of holding on to Fitzgerald. I've seen him do it right yeah. uh, in years past. Uh, and I just think Floyd has some injury issues in the past. Uh, I, I love Brown, uh, but, boy, I'm going to stick with Fitzgerald, at least for now. I, I'm reserving my right to change that one as well. But uh, that's a toughie. Now, we've got a few moments left here, and we're, we just looked at the interesting situation in Arizona. And let's move over to Indy. You mentioned uh, some of the Indy guys, uh, Hilton. And, of course, what is what do you think the reception perception um, data reveals when you look at a guy like T.Y. Hilton? Well, I think he just, you know, he's a he's a big splash player, which is great, and there's a lot of utility to that. Um, I think ideally you don't necessarily want him as, as a number one receiver. I think that the Colts have him there right now, and but they're also a team that spreads the ball around a lot. Yeah. You know, so that's – it's definitely something – that's something to to think about. Like, I don't don't know if he's necessarily like that typical number one receiver. You know, to to me, I don't think he's a coverage dictator. Um, like he's a guy that can be foiled by physical press coverage. Uh, his, his scores there are, are kind of close to the average. So, I don't know. I just I I think he's a little he gets a little overrated because he, he's a popular player that plays with Andrew Luck and has put up good fantasy numbers. But if I was running an NFL team, I don't know that I necessarily would pick him as one of the first ones out there. So what about they've kind of got an embarrassment of riches at the wide receiver position. I'm a big Moncrief fan. Um, the, in the last year, in the seven games with Andrew Luck, averaged five fantasy points higher than without. Uh, and I think he can continue to make the step forward. But they've also got Dorsett. Um, which of the two, using reception perception, uh, do you find to be a better receiver? Yeah, it's it's Moncrief easily to me. I don't even think it's worth a discussion between the two of them. I think that Moncrief is, and like I mentioned, Hilton is not into the prototypical number one. I think Moncrief could be that guy. Like I, I wouldn't shock me if he ends up being the Colts' best receiver because, wow. you know, he's bigger. Uh, he's just as good at getting separation. Um, maybe not as consistent right now as you'd like him to be, but you know, I, like you mentioned. We kind of forget that Moncrief really started breaking out at the beginning of last year, had yeah. some great games, and he's a great example of a player that from college to year one to year two improved every step of the way as a route runner and as a technician. Like at Old Miss, I mean, he was a he was pretty much a train wreck because some of his games were just unwatchable. Um, that's how bad his technique was. But then year one, it was his reception perception was pretty impressive, and I didn't expect that. I wasn't a huge Moncrief fan coming out, but I thought he did really well in, in his flashes as a rookie. And, you know, one thing that's important to remember is that NFL coaches don't necessarily put a lot of time into improving the technique of their players. It's more about getting them up to speed with the offense and the role they want them in. 
But NFL veterans are very important in that regard. And I think that, you know, maybe T.Y. Hilton and, and uh, especially Reggie Wayne when he was there really helped bring Moncrief along in that 2014 season. And then you look 2015, if you remember the game against uh, the Jets, he was running some great pristine routes in that in that uh, in that game, and that continued throughout the season. That wasn't something that went away, but the offense completely fell apart. You know, the, the Andrew Luck wasn't that great when he was in there. I think that's another thing that we forget about. He was definitely having a down season, and then Moncrief ran into Carolina and Denver in back to back weeks, and then it was in that Denver game that Luck went down yeah. for the season. And I mean, at one point when I was charting Moncrief, I saw. Uh, Matt Hasselback and Andre Johnson not be able to complete a screen pass, and the combined age between both players was like 76. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that offense just completely <laughs> fell apart, and it's important to remember that. Like, Moncrief could easily have that breakout year that he was going to have last year. He could have it this year and at a still a discount fantasy. Yeah, his first four games were over uh, 13 uh, PPR fantasy points. He had a dip uh, week five, uh, continued to roll New England, New Orleans, and then, of course, uh, luck goes down, the the wheels fall off. But I'm a big uh, Moncrief proponent this year. Uh, Pyromaniacs, I'm with Matt Harmon, and I'm sure he wants to uh, take care of some uh, chores and uh, pressing life business. But uh, just a few more questions, if you don't mind, Matt, and then I'm going to let you go. Uh, two more, really. One, you just came out with a reception perception with uh, Tory Smith. Now, a lot of folks have kind of forgotten about him, and although we're, we're not quite sure who's going to be a supporting cast, but what did reception perception reveal about Tory Smith? He's, he's a guy you're kind of pegging as perhaps uh, going to take uh, maybe a bit of a breakout role, maybe a, a forgotten wide receiver. What do you think about Torrey Smith in 2016? Yeah, well, I think reception perception reveals that this is still a good quality NFL player. Um, you know, he caught 33 passes last year. So when I call him, you know, a big bounce back candidate, remember he's bouncing back from catching 33 passes. That's not going to happen yeah. again. Um, if you look at Chip Kelly throughout his time in Philadelphia, uh, when his offenses were at best, they were, you know, highly targeting outside speed receivers you know they got he got career years out of both Jeremy Macklin and Deshaun Jackson and I think that's like he's got a ready-made guy in Torrey Smith to do just that this year for him Um, so I think that Smith is going to garner a lot more targets than we expect and I think that he's going to be a player that's easy to get in fantasy leagues right now he's you know he's going well down the board in MFL 10s right now because people just remember what happened last season but Still a good player. His reception perception reveal, reveals that, and there's a clear there's been a clear change of variables there in terms of the offense. And you know, one thing that's important, no matter what you think about Chip Kelly and whether he's an offensive genius or not, uh, the one thing that's indisputable is that he bumps up the play volume of an offense. You know, the Eagles were consistently yeah. one of the top teams at running. You know, the amount of plays per game. Uh, the Niners were consistently under. Jim Harbaugh and especially last year with Jim Tom Sula and all the boys there were one of the lowest teams at, at running, you know, plays per game. So there's just going to be more opportunity for all 49ers players. And right now he's still at a, t- a tenable value enough that I'm not worried about who his quarterback's going to be. Cause I think he's going to get the targets. Yeah. Going a uh, 14th round, according to fantasy football calculator and 12 team drafts. And if you're looking at, you know, Vegas, uh, they're going to be facing some uphill battles, I think, 
next year. The, the game script is not going to be favorable to San Francisco. I don't know how many games they're going to be able to win, but uh, being in the position I think they will find themselves in, they're going to have to pass often, which is one reason I'm avoiding Carlos Hyde a little bit, and uh, one reason I'm I'm looking more at Torrey Smith. You know, we think he's so old, but I think he's uh, 27. He's not nearly as right. old as uh, he seems, so uh, a lot of juice left in those legs. All right, Pyromaniacs, I'm with Matt Harmon. Give him a follow over on Twitter at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. And, Matthew, I've got one last one for you. I ask this one all the time to end these things. It's a uh, Amos Milburn originally performed this song, but immortalized by Mr. John Lee Hooker. He sang one bourbon, one scotch, and one beer. So along those lines, I'm asking for one bounce back, one sleeper, and one bust. Now, if you don't have them all, I'll take one, but uh, give me what you got. One bounce back, one sleeper, and a bust. Uh, yeah, I think that for, well, there's a couple guys we've mentioned so far. So bounce back, I think, is easily Tory Smith. That's no question to me. Sleeper, I could definitely say Willie Sneed, but I'm going to go a little deeper for you here. Um, and this guy might literally never do anything for fantasy, but he's one of my favorite. Uh, like, so again, I say sleeper. If I'm going to say like a real fantasy sleeper, then sure, Willie Sneed would be the guy. Um, but in terms of just a guy that I love, that I hope gets an opportunity someday to show you how good he is, Albert Wilson from the Chiefs. Um, expect a pure propaganda piece on him on Backyard Banter at some point soon. So I just want to tease that a little bit. And a bust guy we didn't get to talk about, uh, Devontae Parker. I think if he continues to go as high as he does in fantasy right now, I would really not be buying at that price. He's a guy that just had one of the had the worst success rate versus press coverage I've ever charted for reception perception. A guy that really struggles to get off jams of the line of scrimmage. And that was something that I worried about him coming out of school because – he just doesn't have the technique to do it right now, and it's something perhaps he can learn. Uh, and he was definitely, you know, hurt a lot of last year and, and came in without training camp. So I understand why the results might be poor. But also, I think if you're taking him in the, you know, some of like the fourth or fifth round where I see him going a lot in MFL 10s, like you're assuming a lot. You're assuming that Tannehill's going to perform better. You're assuming that Jarvis Landry's going to see a massive decrease in targets. Um, and that's a lot of us. And you're assuming that Parker's going to play like on a consistent route throughout basis much better than he did as a rookie. And I think we saw some people make the same mistakes last year with a player like Devontae Adams. And uh, I, I think that, yeah. you know, I don't think that Parker's going to train wreck like that, but I certainly would worry that he's not going to perform to that fantasy value. Wow. Great calls. I like it. You, you heard it here first. Pyromaniacs. Uh, Matt Harmon, I really uh, thank you for coming on and uh, shooting the fantasy breeze with me tonight. Yeah, my pleasure, man. This is this is always fun. Um, it's it's always just good to talk players, uh, talk talk receivers, and uh, yeah, no, it's a, it was a blast. Thank you so much for having me on. Hey, it's it's really been my pleasure. And uh, Pyromaniacs, that was Matt Harmon. You can check him out over at NFL Media. He's a fantasy football writer and editor over there. He's got his work on football guys. And, of course, he's uh, really setting some trends with his work on reception perception. And uh, you can check out the website. That's backyardbanter.com. Follow him over at Twitter. Twitter, that is Matt Harmon underscore BYB. All right, Pyromaniacs, this has been another fantasy football talk on the Pyrolite podcast. And until the next time, I will catch you on the flip side.
Chelsea lady, how you been? Are we lovers? Are we just friends? Oh, I believe. Oh, I believe. I'm in love again. Oh, you're kissing. It feels so right. But you had another man hold up last night I, I believe, oh I believe And I'm in love again It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.